0: To uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding.
1: Yo, yo, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you are all having a great day so far, great week, great month. For me, it feels like everything's blending together into just a new day or a new, like a, just a, a repeating day again and again and again. I hope you're taking the time to, to see how far you've come throughout this entire quarantine, throughout this entire sort of global pandemic that's shaking up all of our existing systems and forcing us to arrive into a new normal. And I hope you're being kind to yourself along the way. And I am so excited and grateful and privileged to be introducing this week's guest, uh, Mr. John Wang. So I hope you guys have noticed a theme over the last several episodes, and it really has been around this idea of burnout. And as society, we sort of put burnout as a badge of honor, right? We place a high value on hard work and the hustle. And we sort of like, like the old normal was really sort of built on this idea of keep doing, 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 like, don't stop until you get what you want. But, Does burnout actually deliver the results you want? And is it the best strategy to create success in business and life? John doesn't think so, and I'm actually on his side too. John, after burning out riddled with a collection of physical and emotional symptoms, he realized there had to be a better route to success. And in this episode, not only do we dive into the logic of why we crave burnout, but we also start exploring different ways that we can arrive into a new normal to empower a more holistic way of going after the things we want in our lives. I don't think the old normal was working in every part of life. And I think burnout is one of those things. And our relationship with hard work is one of those things. And that's why I love this conversation in particular, because I think right now one of the silver linings in all of this is that we get to take a moment to choose what we want to take with us into the future. If something wasn't working, we get a chance to sit down look at it from a bird's eye view and say, okay, I'm going to leave this behind and take this with me. And so if we can all as a collective, just shift our own attitude around work, what it means to live a fulfilling life and create better systems to build more productive work-life balance pendulums, if you would, that can empower us to, to infuse self-compassion, that can empower us to uh, infuse kindness, that can empower us to live a more connected life. I think everybody wins. And to me, I've actually found that slowing down is the fastest way to speed up because slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And so in this episode, I hope you guys really take this episode as a, almost like a, a shining light over your own relationship with hard work, over your own relationship with what it means to sort of work on things that matter. And John is such a legend. I mean, he's been a speaker and an educator for the last 15 years. He coaches high-achieving entrepreneurs and students to create productive systems focused on self-love. He's traveled over 50 countries, and he's the founder of the One Kindness Challenge Movement, which inspires people to change their life through an act of kindness each day. I mean, John is just such a beautiful, tender soul, and I felt it throughout this entire episode. So if your ego has a hustle tendency, but your heart wants more balance, and this episode is for you. And when you understand the internal dialogues and stories that create the need for you to burn out, I don't think you'll ever want to choose that path again. And I think this is the perfect time to be having these conversations as we redefine what it means to live in this new normal. So enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes. All that means is every single time we release a new episode, it'll drop in your inbox. You Come join daily conversations around self-love around staying grounded, around navigating crisis inside of the Stay Grounded community, go to rajana.com forward slash Stay Grounded and make the time for yourself. What wasn't working before can be left behind. And remember, you have the choice to take what you want to take with you into the future. So use this as a moment to pause and reflect and challenge all of the outdated softwares that you've been operating on around what you believe and what You find importance so that you can just create from a place of true fulfillment moving forward. So, hope you guys enjoy this one. But without further ado, here is my main man, Mr. John Wayne. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope everybody jamming with us today is having a brilliant, brilliant time because I'm so. Pumped to be here with my main man, Mr. John. How you doing,
2: brother? Raj. <laughs> How you doing?
1: I'm so good, bro. I I mean, we we were riffing right before uh we hit the record button on this, and it just got me so excited about where this conversation's going to go. I'm just grateful, uh, grateful for the chance to dive deep, man. So let's do this. All right. Well, I already introduced you in all of your amazingness, so I'll skip all the boring details. One thing I want to maybe set the stage for on this episode is a definition of one thing that I know both you and I are passionate about eradicating, which is burnout. What does burnout mean, I guess, in a sense? Because I think uh, traditionally, if you look at media or if you look at what other people might consider burnout to be, if you look at movies, there's a lot of different interpretations of that word. So I'd love to start there. What do you mean by burnout?
2: That's a great question. So burnout was actually originally created by a psychologist who himself went through burnout. And he was a great psychologist. And basically, he hit a stage where he realized like he was on vacation. And right before we went on vacation, he basically crashed. And he then kind of self-diagnosed, he went and like with a little tape recorder basically talked to himself as if he was a psychologist and a patient and he walked himself through the process and then created this concept called burnout and burnout is essentially uh, there's a 12 stage process where we start with excessive ambition and end with a total mental and physical collapse so in the past couple of years for example i've been working with a number of different entrepreneurs and They've gone through everything from guys who have literally like been hospitalized trying to get to a meeting to just people going through like a sudden drop in energy and they just can't figure out why. It's, it's, it looks a lot like depression and sometimes depression is part of it. So for me, for example, it took on the physical symptoms. So I hit burnout a few years ago, about three, four years ago. I had yeah. in my 20s, did the entrepreneur thing. I started a business I was really, really proud of. You know, we hit a really successful mark. And then I realized over the course of six months time that my health deteriorated very quickly, all the way down to where I started getting ulcers and was like coming in and out of hospitals. I remember the worst day where I had ulcers was I was giving a talk and I had to give the entire speech sitting down because I couldn't stand up, knowing that if I stood up, the pain would be so bad it would pass out. So burnout is not really a clinical definition because it essentially is this kind of result of an excessive amount of stress that goes through all these different stages.
1: What creates the stress? Even now, as you're hearing that, right, there's physical burnout that, that's like the physical manifestation of an, or maybe a relationship to stress or maybe the, the, the aversion to stress or maybe even like the fighting with stress kind of thing. But like, where do you think that stress generates from?
2: Hmm, That's a great question. I mean, there's a couple of ways to look at it, but my feeling of the core of it is it really comes from the self-critic. It it comes from exactly what we're talking about. It comes from our ego, which is we create this idea and expectation of who we're supposed to be. And the, the funny thing is some of the people I worked with are the best at what they do because they have such impossibly high standards of themselves, of who they're supposed yeah. to be to their their team, their company, their coworkers, their family. And that, that stage of what, you know, in the 12-step process is excessive ambition. That stage of, I have to be this or else I'm nothing, that all or nothing thinking is what creates stress because we'll never hit it. We'll never become fully satisfied with where we are because that story that we created, oftentimes come from childhood. It comes from the belief that like, if we're not working harder, we're not lovable. If we're not mm, good enough, yeah. we're not lovable. And I think that's the core. That's the seed that end up creating all of this.
1: Let me ask you this. So you said it yourself, people who are some of the best in the world at what they do mm. have impossibly high standards that are probably driven by a lot of that, right? That, that, that need for love, that need for acceptance. But Doesn't change the fact that they're doing beautiful work in the world. Absolutely, like that's that standard. So, like, what is the delicate balance of, I guess, having that ego versus versus healing it in order? Like, I mean, I guess, is there a balance? Because, like, something that does so much good for the world versus something that's killing you, obviously. Like, like, where's the balance in that?
2: (laughs) You know, that's that's the core misconception. When I first came into this, that one of the biggest questions, you know, I, I like I said, I went through this crash. It was a ridiculous time. Uh, I went through a, a breakup. I lost my business partner. Everything was going down. And I still held onto the belief that if I worked harder, everything will be better. And the mm. fear that you're describing is, is the fear that if I stop, if I go for balance, then I'm not producing anymore. Then I'm not going to be able to be great anymore. But what I realized essentially in looking at all the case studies and examining and talking to all these people is that once you get out of your own way, the work actually becomes better. So creating balance is not taking things away. We have this misconception that balance is about doing less when in fact it's actually freeing up to do more. So, you know, right before we started recording, one of the things we talked about is ego, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you have these stories. Like, yeah. for example, like I had, uh, I was I was joking around with you. I was like, oh yeah, like going on even this podcast, there's an expectation I hold for myself where it's like, oh, like I got to be this person who is like got this great message or the audience is, 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 is not going to be interested or whatever it is. Yeah. And the truth is like, that's my obsession over who I am. But the, the truth is, it's not about me right? It's not about the person. It's about the work we do. Like right now, like it's not about Raj and his podcast. It's about the message in his podcast that connects people. So it's a lot about getting out of our own way that actually makes us more productive. So the truth and the reality is, is that when you get rid of the ego, when you can't really get rid of the ego, but when you let go of the obsession to try to prove yourself through the ego, that's when the work gets better. And then you can create better balance in this. Mm,
1: I felt that. I felt that a lot, especially with like, it's almost like what fuels the ego is more important to like, that's the game, right? Because ego, yeah. I don't think ego is necessarily the enemy. No. I don't, I, I, I really don't. I mean, like, I think that's where I was kind of dancing right there. Like, You know, like when the ego creates so much beauty in the world, like, mm-hmm. right, like, I mean, but it's what fuels the ego. Is it fear or love? When love fuels the ego, it becomes almost like a tool for service, mm-hmm. right and I think that's what you mentioned when like mm-hmm. when you focus more on the process, the thing that matters it's the it's the work, mm-hmm. the message. When that becomes the main thing that your ego is championing, then it's just flow
2: mm-hmm.
1: right like it it's It's not like you're sacrificing yourself or you're depleting that emotional tank of energy in order to like justify yourself or get some sort of badge of honor or finally be appreciated or loved. No, you're, you're using your, yourself as a tool to create more and create better.
2: What you just said just there, you're using yourself as a tool. That's the core of it all is to recognize yeah. that as human beings, we are part of the system. So one of the things that a lot of times I, I'll talk about, especially with these like high level entrepreneurs who have like, you know, millions of, million dollar businesses, like multiple million, multi-million dollar businesses, is to remind them like, look, you are the most important piece of machinery in your business. You have to start treating yourself the way you would treat a friend or the way you would treat an employee. Because you have to realize that you have these kind of limitations. Coming back to what you said mm. about the ego not being an enemy, I so agree with that. Like the ego is, there is a protector. The ego exists to be there. Like we need to give it love. Because when we yeah. give it love, And we give it the recognition that it deserves, it loosens and it kind of softens, and then it could be in service of us.
1: Mm. Yeah. The ego being in service of us is the ultimate spiritual game. Yes. Right. Like, that's what we were talking about before is like the, like when you, when you can evolve to that point where when the ego shows up. And I think that's something that's really interesting for me. Like, I've been really curious around like when my fear driven ego shows up versus like my love driven ego shows up Mm -hmm. and I've been becoming much more aware of like which one is. And one thing that's been true for me is anytime I feel a trigger or I feel the need to be right, or I feel this, like there's some sort of like, it's almost like a a child inside me is screaming for (laughs) validation or for somebody to tell me I'm doing a good job. Anytime I feel that that's when I've realized that it's most important for me to give myself
2: love. Absolutely. So uh, it sounds like you've, you've practiced inner child work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Well, I've, I've been very curious. Yes. (laughs) Uh, That's been one of the, I think inner child work. And for anybody listening who doesn't know what inner child work is, it's essentially this modality of psychology Mm -hmm. and therapy in many ways that, that, that hinges on the fact that we all have these, 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 Children inside of us that weren't given love in the way they needed to be given love at a certain age. And as a result, we carry those, those children inside of us for years. And a lot of times those children are the ones that are feeding that ego because ego is the protector. It's the, it's, it's, it's the person, it's supposed to keep us alive. Like we, we learned our egos. We learned everything about how it means to exist in this world. And Along the way, we also learn to carry interpretations of the world. And that's really what I think drives a lot of the pain, at least in my experience. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, No, absolutely.
2: I mean, uh, when I I first started doing inner child work personally, that was the game changer for me because it was suddenly realizing that there was so much I was doing that was either self-abandoning, people-pleasing, or just total neglect. I was always putting everything else before myself. And the, the four process of how I got to burnout to begin with was the fact that I kept putting everything else before me. I kept putting my business before me. I kept putting my customers before me. I kept putting my and there's nothing really inherently wrong about prioritizing it, but it's about finding who actually needs those things. So what I call the ABCs of burnout really is like the ABCs. It stands for A, is it stands for attachment. B, it stands for boundaries. And C stands for core beliefs. These three mm. things are almost always what it is that causes people to go into burnout rather than causing them to actually be able to scale what they're doing to a higher level. And that second, that second thing, that boundary issue is what, what happens when we don't prioritize our own needs. It's kind of like the analogy of like putting the gas, you know, the oxygen mask on yourself before putting it onto the people around you and the people put it on to the, the, you know, that your kids or the, your family is that because we're always trying to prioritize other things in front of us, because the belief is that by making my business bigger, I will be more loved because I inherently am lovable, you know, or more safe uh, or yeah. I
1: have found that so many times when it's like, Oh, when I have more money, I will finally relax. Yeah. Or when, if my relationship was that way, I'll finally be happy. <laughs> Or if I'm in that shape, I'll finally, you know, be good enough or whatever. Like it's always this idea where we're, we're putting ourselves into this future state, but that's the big, giant, massive cosmic joke because someone else is looking at your life and saying the exact same thing. Yeah. Right. It's just like, it's this constant, (laughs) you know, it's, it's interesting because like, you know, you come from an Asian background. I come uh-huh. from an Asian upbringing as well. And I think particularly in Asian families, self-indulgence is a crime. Oof. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, like there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with like putting yourself first or putting your needs first over the families or your parents or, you know, like it's, it's, it's there. And I mean, I've yeah. caught it in my life. Like I've seen my dad, his grand, like his, you know, my grandparents, like my mom's side of the family, like it's very prevalent there. So I think that society in general doesn't do a really good job of even giving us permission or giving us clarity or giving us even the knowledge to understand how important it is to find those boundaries and honor what you need.
2: You know, it, absolutely. What you just said, you're saying um, this sort of Asian family background. I look at almost the entirety of the culture is based around self-abandonment, right? Anything, yeah. it's, it's the word selfish. The belief is that if you're caring about your own needs. You're being selfish. You are acting in favor of your needs. And by doing so, you're hurting the family. You're hurting your community. You are taking things away. But I'm like, that's such a a zero-sum perspective. And that's not how it works. Like, the better you're able to perform, the better you can step up to support your family, to support the people around you. Like, you acting at your best is in other people's best interests. And, you know, that's actually one of the biggest things we don't take in as a reminder. We think that, like, by pushing ourselves, there is almost a culture. Like, if you take a look at Japan, for example, we celebrate people who go through yeah. burnout. And I even think yep. the word burnout is really just a marketing term in some ways. Because prior to this, this, like, last 30 years, we didn't have this term. You just yep. crashed. And was all, like, it, we just crashed. And we, you had depression. But I think we almost celebrate the word burnout because it's like, it's ego. It's like, look at how hard I work to the point that I get to burnout, which makes no sense.
1: That's (laughs) such a, yeah. I mean, it is. It's a badge of honor. Yeah. Like I've burned out. Yeah. Look at me. I've earned my stripes. Oh my God.
2: In my twenties, when I first started my like entrepreneur journey, it was, it was all about like hustling right? Even like, it's like Gary Vee, right? Hustle. Like, are you hustling? Are you waking up at like 4am to like doing your side hustle? Or are you like going to sleep at 2am? And I think that was like, that's the issue. I'm I'm all about working hard. I'm a really big believer in like putting the time and the energy to get things done. But it's the belief behind it that if I'm not hustling, I'm not good enough. That's the ego piece. So
1: what I think I want to explore now, because I think this would be really helpful for anybody listening, including myself actually, is How do you make hard work not feel like hard work? Because Mm -hmm. I think the beliefs, right? Like you just said, like, if I'm not working hard, I'm not enough. Like, that's what creates the suffering. And then if you push that pedal as hard as you can for long enough, you will crash, right? But hard work is also an absolutely necessary it's it's absolutely necessary for just about anything. If you want a great relationship, you have to work at it. If you want to be in shape, you have to work at it. If you want to build a great business, you have to work at it. So how do you then change the relationship with that word hard work to where maybe it's not necessarily even hard or doesn't feel hard, but you're still doing the same amount of output?
2: Absolutely. You know how the feeling is like when you're you ever have days where you, you, you do something like maybe you give a talk or maybe you do something that's really in line with what it is that you love to do and you work like a, a super long, like 18 hour day and you come back and you crash on your bed and you feel like physically tired, like physically exhausted, but emotionally fulfilled. Yes. That's what the work should look like. The, 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 the paradox here is that people think that if they're not feeling stressed, they're not working hard. But the emotional drain that you're going through has nothing to do with the physical amount of energy you're outputting. The, yep. way I, the analogy I look at it is like, imagine that there's a gas pedal and that there's a, a brake pedal. Whenever we're going through a fear-based response, an ego-based response, that's when we are pressing on the brakes. That's when your, your inner child or your, your, your inner self is kind of saying, okay, well, like this is not something I really connect to or align with values on. So you could motivate, you could push that gas pedal as much as you want. That's the motivation factor. We as a culture, we're obsessed with motivation, right? We're obsessed with motivation because motivation is just a feeling. But you could be super, motiva- you could be super motivated and you can really like tell yourself, oh, I got to go do this. I got to go do this. And then suddenly find yourself in front of the TV, watching Netflix, browsing your phone at the same time, like creating these guilt stories about what you have to do. That's what happens when you're out of alignment. So to answer your question of like, okay, so when is it hard work, not feeling hard? The answer is actually simple. It's when your values are aligned with the actions that you're taking. We have these ranking of values and the highest values are what we are performing based on the things that we believe are putting out the most good in the world. And we all really just want to do that. It's when our creative processes are being engaged And at the same time, we don't have those stories that keep pressing on the brake pad about all the things that we have to be. So we could just be free to do the work. So
1: let's say you're in a job or you're in a role or you're doing work that isn't necessarily aligned, right? Like, or maybe you're in a position where you have to be in a certain role or you have to do a certain type of work or you have to, like, because that's what pays the bills right now. How do you begin to sort of develop the values or even the clarity? around what it is that you value so that you can infuse more fulfillment into the work you're already doing.
2: Great question. So there's a few there's a few different levels to this. So it depends on which stage you're kind current, currently at essentially. I would say for the the majority of people the answer to that is looking at and paying attention to the stories that are popping up when you're in that when you're in that state of flow. There's always going to be work that we don't love. There's always going to be work that like, you know, like for example, in business, I don't love doing administration stuff. There's some work that only I can do that I can't outsource, that only I have to go deal with, but it just isn't inspiring to me. So I usually will look at where my emotional tank is, right? You used the word emotional energy before. I think that's spot on. So imagine you have two gas tanks. One is your physical energy gas tank. One is your emotional energy gas tank. So I monitor where my emotional energy gas tank is, and then you build structures around it. So this is why one of my sort of catchphrases is structures, not stories, right? So there's going to be days where you're not feeling great, but sh- y- your work just has to be done. You know, the stuff just has to be done. So in those kind of situations, create structures that work for you. So that structure might look like uh, a morning routine in which like you, you, you wake up, you go through morning process, you go through a morning routine, you're feeling you're energized in that way. And then you go and do that work. And then afterwards you schedule in some creative work. Right. So you find ways to replenish the emotional tank.
1: So it's almost like you're anticipating, all right, let's, I'm feeling not hundred percent today, but you've anticipated that, all right, when I'm not feeling hundred percent, these are things that I can go to, to fill up that tank. Or these are things I can go to, to sort of get myself through that. And then having those in your, those are the structures that you have in your back pocket that you can tap into it at any given moment. Am I paraphrasing that correctly?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So create structures. The stories are always going to come up. The feelings are always going to come up. You're going to feel dread. You're going to like, whatever it is that's, there's two versions, right? Is this this something that's just not inspiring for you, but it needs to be done? These are like kind of daily tasks and chores. And then there's a task that we actually feel an aversion to out of usually some fear. So for example, like, you know, going on a sales call or like, you know, answering an email from somebody who, you know, is, is pissed off at you for some reason, these creates these kind of emotional blockages. That's why we procrastinate. You know, procrastination mm. at the core is really just fear. We, yep. we don't procrastinate things that we don't feel a kind of emotional aversion against. And the fear usually, read. it starts from a story, right? Yeah, all procrastination, if you take a look at it, almost all procrastination is based around fear.
1: You know, it's interesting. I want to just chime in on that specific point. You know, I've always found, you know, perfectionism is just another form of procrastination.
2: Oh, right? like, so good. So like,
1: right? Because so, when you think about it, let's say procrastination, like why do you procrastinate? Because if you're procrastinating in a creative work or in a creative role, you're you're essentially saying that i'm putting this off because i don't think that i'm going to be able to do a good enough output or there's always some underlying feeling to why you're procrastinating like if i do this then it doesn't work out or if i do this and i'm not feel like it's like you're 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 constantly keeping yourself safe through procrastination yeah. it's, it's it's i'm actually as i'm saying this i'm realizing there's some things like that and people that i haven't responded to that like I've just been procrastinating yeah, for whatever reason. And, and, it's, <laughs> and it's not your fault. It's not my fault, but it's just kind of there. Like, and it's becoming very aware. So I guess like, what are your structures for battling procrastination?
2: Well, so there's four questions that I always go through. It's like, it's a steps. So literally I have these kind of little things in, and, and uh, you can, you know, if you want to go check out and download some of these little processes, they're little tools, I call it like, they're like little cards that you can print out. They're just a series of questions you'd run yourself through. So the first question is almost always like, so when I'm feeling like I'm about to go do something and I'm like, ah, I'm procrastinating. And instead of going into a, a guilt cycle, which is what most of us do, which is the worst thing you can do. The guilt cycle I'm talking about is like, okay, let's say I have to make this call to somebody I don't want to make a call to. I think about, oh, it's like 7pm and I'm creating excuses like, oh, it's too late. I can't do the call anyway. And then I start beating myself up like, oh, I should have made the call earlier. And I create this cycle where I'm adding more emotional stress around the task. That's the worst thing you can do because that just creates bigger and bigger and bigger snowballs of emotional pain, right? So the first thing I do is I go into immediate self-forgiveness about however long. If I procrastinated something for like two weeks, I'm like, you know what? I haven't done it because it hasn't been something that heals or serves me in that moment. And I'm going to forgive myself. It happened. I can't change the past. So why would I want to keep holding on to this feeling? So the first step is, yeah. can I forgive myself for this in some ways? Is there something I'm holding myself responsible for that I don't need to anymore? And usually that already drops, I'll say about 30 to 50% of the emotional pain that I'm creating. And the second question I ask myself is, do I have a story around this? So oftentimes I'll look at like, oh, maybe the story for like, I'm not doing this call. is like, Oh, I, you know, when I make this call, let's say it's a sales call, right? When I'm making this sales call, people are going to think uh, lesser of me, or they're going to think this version of me, or they're going to like me less, whatever the story I create is. So if I can identify what the underlying story behind that would be, a lot of times that takes away a lot of the energy and stress. The third question is let's say I have belief and there's some reality to it, because sometimes There is somebody, let's say there's a task that we're procrastinating because like answering an email or something like that, like getting back to somebody. Like we create that story and there actually is truth to it. So the question is like, well, John, like, you know, it's true, like this guy really is pissed off me. And then you go, okay, well, if he's pissed off me, is there something I could do to rectify the situation? And then usually the truth is we are powerful enough to be able to solve most of the problems that we're running into. Yeah. And we have the capacity, but we just have a belief that either we don't or that we will be, you know, disliked or that it will create conflict or any of those kind of stories we run. And then the final thing I go into is, okay, is this something I can do now? Or is something that I could commit to in the next 24 hours? So usually I like to end off on action because, okay, well, once I've like all the stories, let me just go do it now. And there does need a little bit of motivation. There's there's that little push of like, okay, I still have some aversion to it. Screw it. I mean, just go into it and get it done. And then I remind I myself found, how good I'll feel after I'm done. And it always comes true. I always feel amazing after I'm done.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, at all times, and even like the, I found the stories that you were playing in your mind aren't even true. Oh, like well, when you work through them, because like it's always it's almost like that. Um, awesome video or like motivational thing by will smith where he talks about his first time skydiving Hmm. and he like he was out with his friends and then all of his friends kind of told him hey let's go skydiving the next day and leading up to that will smith could not sleep he was like you know he was stressed he was talking about all this stuff but then when he went out there and he jumped all that fear just went away And I think that's kind of where, I think in a lot of ways, that's actually what causes that emotional tank to drain so much, right? Like, I think when when people talk about burnout, they're not actually physically exhausted. They're actually Mm. emotionally exhausted. Absolutely. And that emotional exhaustion comes from sort of allowing these stories to continue chipping away at it, Mm. to where like a simple task has so much baggage attached to it. A simple task, like an email to somebody has a story attached to like, oh, why this person is not going to like me if I send this email? Or like a story attached to like, what if I send the wrong email? Or like, oh my God, like, I'm not really sure I'm supposed to do this. Or like all these different paradigms that come from one simple task. But if we do what you just said, which is forgive and maybe even just say, okay, maybe give yourself the five second rule, right? The Mel Robbins five second rule, like count to five and then just do it. Like if you get into that habit, what I've realized is on the other side of actually accomplishing or finishing the task, there's just an overwhelming amount of like, oh, it's just gone. Like it's out there. It's done. There's nothing I can do about it. It's out of my hands. I'm actually going to delete the freaking email so I never have to look at it. And I'm going to forget that. I actually do that a lot. Like when I send a text that's like, or an email or something that's like, that's like questionable. I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure how this is going to receive. I delete it immediately. So I like forget that I, so I forget that I even did it. And then it's like, all right, like I don't carry that weight anymore. And then I just, I move on. Yeah. But like, think about like, and I think that a lot of people do that. Like we have these stories, but I think if we just removed all the baggage and because that's a choice too, the choice to take baggage Mm -hmm. out of your car Mm -hmm. and put it on the side
2: Mm
1: -hmm. is an absolute choice. Yes. Yes right? Yeah. Why do you think people aren't exercising that choice as much as they could be to really create a life of freedom? Because it's comfortable.
2: We, it's comfortable to hold on to the stories and the beliefs. And that's where that, that even if it creates suffering. Yeah. I, I think that people find suffering. It sounds ridiculous. I realize, but think about it. Like why it's, it's an irrational thing. Like we have the capacity to do the work. Why are we not doing it? Because there's usually a story around who we're supposed to be. Like, it's the saying, right? It's that, I think it's a Miriam Williamson's quote. It's like, it, our greatest fear is not that we are incapable, we are it's that act. we're actually yeah. pure beyond measure. We have the story about who we're supposed to be. And again, it's like the ego is a defender. Again, it's there to protect us. So if we were taught at a young age that like being sloppy and lazy meant that like your mom would come and take care of you, then sometimes we'll protect that identity. Sometimes we'll protect that pattern because that's an easier thing to hold onto than to face the prospect of change. You know, one of our mutual friends, Mark Manson, he has in his, you know, one of his, I love his books so much. I'm a huge fan of his. He talks about this idea that the universal law of humanity is that we don't like change. And sometimes by taking action and like letting go of the stories, we let go of all the other elements that all the other stories about who we're supposed to be. So we carry the guilt, we carry the self blame. Like in this case, to carry the story that of burning out, a reflection of how hard you work, right? So we would rather stay in burnout and stay in stress because when we're walking around telling people how busy we are and how overwhelmed we are. People go, oh, right, yeah, like, oh, you're doing so much right now. Like, you should take it easy. Like, you're accomplishing yeah, it's so a much. Yeah, pat on the back. Yeah. And we feel good about it. Right? Because that perpetuates that ego story.
1: Mm, it's becoming painfully obvious that we choose to suffer.
2: Oh, we do. Oh, and we do. I just
1: want that to sink in for a second. Like, if you are suffering, I know that's hard. And I know that like, my ego already is like, fight. no, fuck you, Raj. Like, I don't want to suffer. Like, I know my ego is already kind of like backing off to that. But like, I'm realizing in my own, because like, I feel it in my body right now that like suffering is a choice. Pain is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Pain, like pain, like the work, difficulty, that's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But suffering is my relationship to whatever's in front of me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and that, that's what creates the heaviness that drains that emotion, the, the need to try harder than I, than it, than I really require, mm-hmm. the, the need to care more or hold on to things that I don't need to. That is all my ego making, my fear-driven ego making the choice, not my love-driven self. Like it's, it's fear making the decision. Absolutely. And that's, that's a slap in the face. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, this is why uh, the first step is mindfulness and self-compassion, right? Like almost always when we're in that state, we're always in the future or in the past. We're not in the present. Because when we're in the present, yeah. you had to face reality. And the reality is usually not exactly the same thing as what the story is. Right. The first now, question the is the crazy like, thing,
1: the future and the past are all happening in the present moment.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. Like they're in our heads, right? Like yeah. if you think about the future, like that's not, like it hasn't happened yet. It's actually happening right now. It's anxiety <laughs> of the future past. It's, it's already gone, but yeah. it's reliving itself right now. Yeah. And both those, like anxiety of the future, which is possible like it's and then you know, a story of the past, they're both creating storms that actually like if you take that storm aside and you just look at whatever's happening in the present moment, none of it is happening. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The present moment holds no weight. It, It holds absolutely no weight. So even the tasks that are in front of us, like doing something that's like work. The work in front of us actually has no weight. It is just our, it's, it's our relationship with it.
2: Yeah. And we so, create so many stories about what it's supposed to be and what we are supposed to be in relationship to it. Right? That that's what keeping us from actually being able to do the work. It's the greatest. I always, I, I always laugh whenever I'm experiencing that because I, I can't help but look at myself and go, that is such a ridiculous belief. And I just crack up because it's the great joke of
1: life. Dude, it's so easy to like, because I know there have been moments where I've like talked myself up, like built up, like, I'm like, all right, Raj, you got this. Like go do this. Or like, like play. Like, you know, I'm like constantly exciting myself up, but I realized in all that time I'm doing that, I could have just done it Yeah. or all the time I'm talking about how I don't want to do this or how I want to do something else or how I should be doing this, or I could be doing that or how I deserve this in all that dance. I could have just done it. And like, if we just built a propensity to just do, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Yeah. Then there's no burnout. Yeah. There's no burnout because you're not carrying all the storm, like the, exactly. the fighting, the stores, <laughs> the, the fighting of dragons that don't exist. Like yes. we create dragons that need to be slayed in order for us to feel important. But those dragons don't actually exist because if you go to someone else, they have a different set of dragons. Mm hmm. Right? Like your dragons are going to be very different than mine, which is whole proof that they don't actually exist.
2: Yep. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, it's just taking, like, first and foremost, letting go of the stories, realizing that in the moment, the story of, oh, I haven't done this, oh, I haven't called this person back for three days, and they must be mad at me. It's like, well, first and foremost, I'm going to let go of that story. I'm going to call this person now. Act as if, like, you're being dropped into the moment. Like, out of nothingness. Like you just Mm. existed. And like everything that happened in the past didn't exist. So you are now just looking at the things in front of you as the things that you want to do. Every single time we go into the shit pattern, anytime somebody tells me I should do this, I'm just like, take a moment. Like, should you? Why should you? Oh, I should go do this. Why why should you? And the story that we create around it, like, yeah, are the things that will benefit you? Like taking out the trash, it's something that I should do, no, it's something that is part of my actions. And if I do this, I will have this result, right? It's just cause and effect. But the should is when we get demoralizing.
1: Yeah, the should, the should is what keeps us trapped.
2: Yeah, the I mean, should is what keeps the, us trapped. The
1: interpretation, the interpretation of something that our minds do. I mean, if you think <laughs> about, I mean, our, the interpretation our minds make of a situation Mm-hmm. without having all the facts is I think one of the most painful human tendencies we've got, right? Like our, our, our egocentric states that just interpret or make meaning out of things that aren't meant to be oh made God. meaning of, yeah. right? Like we're meaning making machines and that's what <laughs> separates us as a, as a species, of course. Yeah. But I think that we've, and I think that's really the, the dance, the spiritual yeah. dance yeah. in my mind, right? Yeah. Like when you can begin to decipher between what, is useful to make meaning of, and mm-hmm. what is useful to just let go. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Like it's it's it. Like because meaning is still a beautiful driver in society. Yeah. It's 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 our stories. I mean, stories are beautiful. That's how we exist. Our, yeah. You know, like that's how we've survived as a species for sixty something thousand years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think we've gotten to an age where we just need to teach our amygdalas, our our old little crocodile brains. <laughs> Our old prehistoric protectors. We just need to teach it. Teach it how to make meaning, what to make meaning of, and where it's useful to allow stories to be the thing that dictates your life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And also accept that some, you know, some thoughts are, I look at it from the perspective of useful, not useful, real, not real. Those are the the two measurements I look at, every thought that comes through is that not every thought has to have a meaning. Not every thought has to have a purpose, exactly as you said, right? Is this a useful belief? Is this a useful thought that I'm experiencing? Is this helping me in getting something that I want? And if not, then I let go of it, right? It's trusting that above the weather. You know, Emotions are, I think we place way too much, way too much importance on motivation and emotions. Emotions come and go. Emotions really can only exist for an instant. When you're feeling something for a long period of time, you're actually recreating that feeling over and over and over and over and over again. Kind yeah. of like when you remember something, you're really remembering the last time you remembered it, right? So is, have you heard of this one before? It's a no, fascinating go deep, thing. Yeah. Go, go look into the how like neurobiology, go check it out. It's super cool. When you're recalling a memory, you're actually recalling not the original instance, but you're actually recalling the last time you remember that memory. This is why it is that we can Damn. take a memory and restructure it. Like we could feel like, because has something happened and then like, it's like the movie inside out, for example, you ever in the movie inside out.
1: It's like one of my favorite oh, Disney movies.
2: Dude. Oh my God. So like, good. Right. Like, so like oh, the dude, little yeah. girl, she has this memory of something that happened a long time ago. And then she like comes back and revisits it. And then like, looks at another side of it and discovers there's a whole other collection of feelings around it. So every single time we're, cre- we're remembering something, we're creating a new memory of that thing. So wow. is it a useful thing when we're creating a memory? Like, is this useful to me? First and foremost, that, that memory is not real in the sense that it's not something that's happening right now. It attaches emotional. Like I've gone through, you know, like breakups. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of your listeners and, and yourself, I'm sure, have gone through heartbreak and pain. And remembering that, allows us to go and heal the pain that we feel in the moment. So the, the pain yeah. we're experiencing is not in the past. The pain we're experiencing is in the present. So if I remember this breakup, I'm like, oh, I feel sad right now by remembering something that sad happened that happened a long time ago. But now I get to change that feeling. So this is how talk therapy works, right? Is that you talk about it in a safe container and you get to feel better and you heal that, that emotional response, right? So well, healing think, comes from yeah. reliving it.
1: Well, uh. And you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking that's why I think gratitude is such a or appreciation gratitude is such a powerful practice oh, right because it it forces you so when you do remember something and you then, in the present moment remember it through the lens of gratitude, you change what it means
2: mm-hmm.
1: right like because you're remembering the last time you remembered something mm-hmm. so like if you remember a traumatic experience or something that happened in your past through the lens of gratitude now. The next time you go back to that, you're just building on the feelings of gratitude, or the reflections, or the lessons, or the or any frame that you were in when you remembered it, which ultimately changes the memory altogether. And over time, the more you practice that, the more you just begin to see everything in your past as a gift for the present experience that you're in.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right?
1: Oh man, that feels <sighs> giddy. That feels hopeful. No, it gives. It gives hope. Like it, it's, it's a beautiful way to actively again, like we started this conversation around burnout, mm-hmm. right? And I, and we just defined it. It's, there's physical burnout and then there's emotional burnout. But I think being able to heal the stories, being able to love the, 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 the thoughts, being able to accept all of it and then being able to let go is sort of like the, the Mm one-on-one on keeping that emotional tank full, right? Mm Because if you can live a life that doesn't feel hard, you eliminate burnout altogether. It's not that you're never going to need the sleep or have rest. Yeah. But when you remove the feeling of difficulty, that's when freedom truly exists.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. The process of recovery is what makes you more productive, not less. We got to let go of the idea that like somehow creating a work-life balance is going to result in us doing less work. Every person I've ever walked this process through and have observed in their own healing process have become way more productive afterwards because suddenly they're going into their work with energy, with passion, with enthusiasm, with a sense of purpose. And they're excited about it. They wake up in the morning and they can't get... like. They can't wait to get to work. They just like, they're like, oh, I like this, grab a coffee and they want to get to the laptop and start. And when they're like going to bed at night, they're excited about it. And that's the idea of reconnecting back to that sense of purpose, like deep within us, that's there with us all along, always. Right. But it's got to start with acceptance, not avoidance. It's got to start by accepting what we're going through. What is purpose? Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, I started that at the end of the interview. Yeah. I know I just threw like a freaking like like yeah. bazooka at you. right yeah. when going wrap up, but like, yeah, I feel like we need another episode for for, yeah, for the full yeah, exploration yeah, for sure. of that. I mean, I have my 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 definition of purpose is the thing that I feel most alive when I'm creating. I think it's a feeling for me, right? Like how I feel like I found my purpose. Was I was hiking. Actually, I was in Hawaii, and I was going through this kind of depressive phase. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to like buy a plane ticket, fly to Hawaii, and spend a week there alone. <laughs> Doing the time. And I think I was going during like this season where like there was couples everywhere, and I was just depressed and angry at everyone. And I was listening to this book called Backbone, which is talking about men's work and is, is talking about the idea of finding your purpose. And, and it says every man, like the easiest thing is everything you do should just be in the, the, the continuous endless pursuit of your purpose. And I had done all like the Tony Robbins stuff and I had written out these like super complicated formulas of what I'm supposed to be. And then I was just on a hike and I was like, oh, I'm here to teach. And, and then that purpose is the, what's beyond my ego, right? Yes. It's not who I am. It's just what I do. It's just, what do I choose to do? And then there's so many different definitions around it. I think you can have multiple purposes throughout your life. You can have multiple purposes throughout different stages. Like when you become a, you know, when you can become a parent, for example, most parents, their new purpose is to like, care for their child. And of course, that should be your purpose. But after your child hits 20 years old, maybe it's time to let go of that purpose and adopt a new one. I think we get to define that. That's the short answer of it. The long answer yeah, goes to yeah. the Ikigai, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is a Ikigai. Japanese yeah. concept, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think for, for me, as you're saying that, what's, what's coming up for me is, Purpose is found in what you do, yes, but for me, it's, it's also found in who you are. Like, the way you show up, like, I think all of us, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, oh. the top of that pyramid is self-actualization, which is oh. living out your truest gifts to the highest potential. And, like, I think you can only do that when you pursue a life that's, when, you, when, you're, when you're pursuing your best. Mm-hmm. And and your truth, whatever that is, right? Because, like, having your cake and eating it too is easy when you're the baker, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, like, so, like, when you define what cake is, and then you're like, this is who I am. This is what's important to me, and then you live up to that in parenting, in business, in all of it. Like, I think living in accordance with those values then creates a
2: purpose-driven life. Absolutely, the word you said there, values, I think, is key. It's it's what do you identify to be your highest values? And are you in the pursuit? And are you in the embodiment of it? You know, I think the definition the semantics at the end of the day, really doesn't matter. It comes down to the idea of, are you in alignment with your values? And when we're not in alignment,
1: man, like it's you say we'll go drink.
2: <laughs> is that what you
1: well, said? If we are not in too. alignment, with, oh, I thought you, oh, I, I thought you said to go drink. I'm like, wow, that's one hell of a, that's one hell of a, yes, sir.
2: Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> and that's the tagline for the day. <laughs> Welcome, uh, my guest today, John Wang, who tells us to go drink more.
1: <laughs> oh man, no, I love it. I love it. That's that's awesome, dude. No, and the beautiful one thing I realized with with the show and all of the conversations that are around very similar topics to this is that. There's no right answer. There's a definition. Actually, there is, there's no right interpretation, but there's a certain truth that underlies all of the different ways we sort of define what it means to live a purpose-driven life. Exactly. And all of it comes back down to being in alignment with who you are and being clear on what you value, being clear on the things you believe in, and then just doing your very best every single day to just live that out. It's not about living a purpose driven life. It's about living a purpose driven moment because that is all that's guaranteed. Oh, dude, you're the man. <laughs> uh, you are the man, bro. You got me feeling all sorts of, all sorts of feelings right now. John, you've done so much great work, man. Uh, I wanted you to maybe share just a little bit on kind of the, like what's inspiring you right now, what you're working on right now and what you help people with. And if anybody wanted to dive deeper into your world, how would they go about doing that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so check out, um, I, the, the website, I'm sure you'll be able to put up a link to it right now. What excites me most is creating tools. Cause I, I feel like right now we are living in a world that's so focused on the mental and trying to do everything right. And there's a billion pieces of information out there about what we should do or what we should not do. But I'm a big believer in just like tools, create systems, mm. create tools. When I mean by tools, it's kind of like what we just talked about, like the four-question process. I have like little meditations, mindfulness practices that you could do throughout the day. And those are the things that really build the long-term marathonic kind of like structures rather than the sprints. So uh, yep, yeah, I'm going to put those up and you know, go to the website, download them, use them in your life pursue that. I also have the one kindness project, getting people to go out there and do an act of kindness a day. So much science that tells you kindness will change your life and make you happier in so many ways. It is insane that we don't do it all the time. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the two places I would say.
1: That's a whole nother episode. I think I want to bring you back for, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) one of the, one of the recent sort of realizations for me has been, uh, I really, really, really enjoy random acts of kindness. Mm. Like it's been just a, an absolute joy to like just kind of randomly be kind how I can with who I want to be. Like it just, it doesn't matter if I know them or not. It's like it can be at a restaurant, it could be anywhere, just something kind. And I do agree. It is the most amazing. Just, it just fills you up in a way that I don't think anything can. So yeah, I definitely want to dive deeper on the one kindness project. I, I want to talk to you a lot. John. There's a lot <laughs> of things it. that I just want to, there's a lot of things I just want to riff with you on, but uh, we are out of time today. John, I got one last question for you, brother. Um, in the midst of everything you've been through, everything you're doing and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded?
2: It's a practice, you know, throughout the day, practice, just taking a moment and just checking in and accepting whatever you're going through. That beyond anything else, beyond any Vipassana retreats, beyond any therapy has been the biggest difference. It's just checking in and accepting. Whatever I'm going through, I accept it. Gosh, so simple.
1: So simple. It's it's simple, not easy, but simple. It's simple. Um, Not easy. (laughs) No, definitely not easy. Brother, I am again so grateful that we had the chance to uh, just go deep today. I'm sure we'll be having lots more of these conversations on and off. It's a pleasure and honor. (laughs) But uh, everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, John. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon.